0: Hello, welcome back everyone. Welcome back to A Dose of Dog. I am Heather Mishefsky. I am a certified professional dog trainer and a certified behavior consultant. Um, I'm also the owner of Embark here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And today we're gonna talk about puppies. Um, We covered this subject, gosh, a while back in an earlier episode. Um, What we talked about was socialization during a pandemic. Um, And you know, after I recorded that, I thought a lot of the things that that came out of socializing puppies in a time where things were shut down and you couldn't really venture out to meet people or other dogs. Um a lot of good ideas came out of that episode. And not just for myself, I'm certainly not going to take um, take responsibility for all of it because there were some really amazing ideas coming out from trainers and behavior consultants across the US on trying to help puppy help people that have puppies. Um, during a time where everyone was kind of shut in their homes and weren't really themselves able to socialize. Um, I think there were some good ideas that came out of that. If, if anything good could have come out of a pandemic, right? Um, so I think we're going to reiterate some of those and just kind of add to it. I think socialization is one of those topics that I think is a little confusing to people because there is a lot of information on what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And, even within that realm of what you should and you shouldn't do, sometimes it depends. (laughs) So it kind of depends on your puppy and your, um, you know, your puppy's background. So let's just kind of cover what socialization, what it, what it means, what it looks like, some things that you could do um, with puppies. And I'm going to kind of focus on puppies. So um, particularly dogs under like that five to six months of age range for socialization, and I thought we would, <clears throat> excuse me, we'd define it, we would talk about what it means, um, kind of what 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 current or some recommendations why they could be problematic for your own dog, and then some ideas that you can do. And I think sometimes we think that socializa- socialization means that you have to do all these grandeur trips and meetings with your puppy, but it's really not as complicated as that. There's a lot of things that you can do um, just in your backyard, um, down the road in a field, um, things that you can do at home that will really have a positive impact on your dog kind of going forward. So, so socialization, you know, most people come to puppy classes because their dog, they, they, they know that their dog needs to be socialized. Like they have come to a group setting <clears throat> because the recommendation is typically that. The puppy needs to be socialized so what does that mean because i think there's a lot of misconceptions in terms of socialization and i almost think the word itself is kind of problematic because it it is associated with being social which isn't necessarily something that that some dogs enjoy <laughs> so let's talk let's kind of define the time frame so all of you that have had me in class, you've heard me say that puppies are puppies until they're about five to six months of age. So puppies are puppies from when they're born, of course, until that five to six months age, uh, five to six month, month age range. And the reason for that is because puppies become teenagers around five to six months of age, for sure six months of age. So what do we know about teenagers? We know that teenagers have strong opinions. <laughs> we know that they have um, life experiences that maybe have shaped what their opinions are up to that point. We also know that at six months of age, it's hard to change opinions. It's hard to change opinions when they are, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months of age. So that's a hard one. So we kind of have puppies... Prior to that, we have them kind of in this era of making positive associations with things in the world. And I really want you to think about socialization as preparing your dog for what their life is going to look like. So one of the things I have my puppy classes think about in the first night of class is what are the expectations of this puppy? So if you think about what your life is going to look like the next 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years, you hope. Um, in your dog's life what kind of places are they going to go what kind of people are they going to meet what kind of environments are they going to be in because that's how you really should structure kind of what socialization looks like Um, you know if you're living in rural Alaska (laughs) um, you know your puppy doesn't need to go to a soccer game or your puppy doesn't need to go to you know to meet a bunch of people or a bunch of dogs that's not the life that they're going to lead um they need to know probably a really good recall around wildlife um they need to know um like how to stick close to you i mean there's a lot of different parameters based on kind of what your life is going to look like so give that some thought so that would look like what kind of environments are you going to be in what kind of people are you going to be around? Is it going to be a lot of children? Is it going to be? Um, do you have a lot of people in your family that use some kind of medical equipment? So crutches, perhaps, or they use a wheelchair, or what? What does that world look like? Do you have wild? Do you have wildlife? Do you have livestock? So a lot of those things are something that you need to consider. So puppies, like I said, are puppies until they're about six months of age. So we have this kind of the six month. Timeline, and, and it's even a little bit shorter than that. Of kind of associatively pairing things with what that puppy is going to look like later in, or what what that world is going to look like later in life. So now the hard part about this is that before you even got your puppy, so most of you probably picked your puppy up between eight to ten weeks of age, and there is some interesting research about. Um, puppies staying with their litters longer um, that I think might change what that looks like in the future. But um, if, you, if you got your puppy at eight weeks, which most people eight, nine, ten weeks is kind of an average age for them to get puppies, you certainly should not be picking them up before that. That is not responsible, <laughs> unless there's some medical reason of some sort, of course. Uh, but There's a lot that happens before that. There is a whole lot that happens before that. So even before you get your puppy, if someone actively bred the litter that your puppy is coming from, you hope that they've done their research and they're adding in some pieces to build socially stable dogs. So... So a lot of what happens in your puppy's world and a lot of things that that are going to kind of form what their opinions are are actually happening before you get them. The more that we learn about early neural stimulation in puppies and those experiences um, with mom are so impactful in their life. And even beyond that, again, the research with neonatal development is really fascinating, even in utero. So if mom's needs aren't met... Um, you know the puppy sometimes will struggle with with life sometimes. Um, you know different things during their lifetime. So an important piece of that is if someone actively sought out to breed to breed the litter that your puppy came from. Um, I would dig deep and see if they're doing a lot of. Um, early um, experiences for that puppy to create resilience because there is a lot that a breeder can do those first eight weeks to create resilience in puppies. Um, there's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of great programs out there. Um, there's you know people that have done it forever that have some great protocols that aren't necessarily like Puppy Culture or Avadog or any of the active like early early neural stim programs um, that are out there. So so things where you're kind of creating a little bit of resilience in the puppy. And things like that would look like one of the things that I did with my litter. I followed an early neuro stim program was things like, you know, you put them on a wet washcloth when they're tiny babies. Can they move away? That was a little tiny piece of stress and they learn how to problem solve. So, I mean, that's a an easy, very kind of non-invasive um, way to kind of help them learn some little problem solving. But remember, dogs that can problem solve, they don't struggle in life. They might see something that's worrisome um, and they learn that they can move away from it. They move that they can, um, maybe they can sit and observe. Um, and so those are all really pieces of important information. So before you got your puppy, um, asking questions of the person, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I would drill them. Like... Having bred a litter myself, like I would take a million questions and I would answer all of them because I think that's important for the person to know. So if someone is offended by your questions, you should move along. (laughs) I mean, obviously within reason like there might be some weird questions but um so that's important that's an important piece so so a lot of happened before you got your puppy now some of you got a puppy that came out of like a a you know traumatic rescue situation where they were born in a shed and like they didn't have contact with humans you have even more work to do so those puppies, you're going to have to kind of do double the work. And maybe not. Maybe genetically that dog is more socially stable. We don't really know that at the time. Um, but I would certainly put the more work into um, kind of curating experiences for that puppy to make their them more resilient. So whoever bred your puppy prior or, uh, prior to you getting them, um, look at the experience that, th- that they gave them. And then the other piece to this that I really have been talking a lot about in the puppy classes is the genetic piece. You know, I think a lot of the times we get puppies and we think they're going to be a blank slate and we think we can kind of create whatever we want, but that's not true. (laughs) You know, they come with a huge amount of genetic information that are basically kind of driving some of their behaviors so and the example I've used a lot in the podcast are herding dogs I mean we could take any breed really and break apart maybe what some of their behaviors look like but let's take an example of a herding dog so we currently have gosh a huge amount of healers that have come into the shelter right now like I think there were what back in May a couple litters dropped off at the shelter I think Clark County had a bunch of healers so you take a dog like that that was purposely genetically selected to be very hypervigilant about movement to be very hyper vigilant about the environment and notice motion in their environment um and so what does that mean that means they chase things that move away from them <laughs> like things that mo- are moving away from them are very um something that catches their eye and that's not a fault of that dog that is their genetics driving the bus <laughs> and the bus is saying go this way <laughs> Um, and sometimes, you know, that creates a maladaptive behavior in a setting that maybe that dog's going to live in. So if you live in an urban setting and you live on a corner by a school, how many people are riding their bikes past or running past? Um, sometimes in those dogs, you really see them struggle in that environment. And that is not the dog, the puppy being bad. That is the puppy's genes, which humans have genetically selected for that behavior, um, And that's just their genetics telling them what to do. And you see that at the dog park. You see that in daycare. I mean, I think it's something that if you're in those situations, you really have to understand the genetics that are kind of driving what that dog, um, the behavior that they're doing. Um, I have retrievers. I mean, Ridge, my male, takes my shoes out, wants to take my shoes out every single morning. He puts something in his mouth. Well, of course he does. He is a retriever. (laughs) His genetics are saying, pick stuff up and carry it around. Um... And so I don't stop it. I just give him appropriate outlets for that behavior. So think about what your dog was bred for. And I know we talk about this a lot in puppy class, but think about what was your dog genetically selected to do. Um, And think about how some of those behaviors could pop up later in life. Um, And remember that, because I think we get upset and we think our dogs are being bad, but oftentimes it is a genetically selected trait that, that... that we have we not we particular but our previous generations have selected that dog to do a job because that's why we had dogs in the beginning right they all did jobs for us um and there was an interesting i'm in a uh course i'm taking a, a applied ethology course right now and one of the things that they were ta- we were talking about um was how that the the phenotypes that we're selecting for so we like how a dog looks perhaps like we like great pyrenees because they're big fluffy and they're you know they've got these beautiful eyes but we're selecting for those looks, we're still getting the genes behind it. So just because we're, we're maybe breeding for a pet dog, we're, the genetics are still coming, coming along for the ride. So when your great pyrenees stands in the yard and barks at things that come near it, they're just doing their job, really. <laughs> so I think that's one thing to think about for socialization because a lot of us have an expectation that our dog is going to be like the neighborhood golden retriever. And I did a podcast on this called what is a normal dog I think it was called and I think a lot of us are like our dog is going to be like the golden retriever that lives down the road you know they're super socially stable and they love kids and they don't chase cars and they can just be off leash all the time and they love everyone but that's not normal (laughs) Um, that is that dog and I know a lot of us think we want our dogs to be that way but that's not, a, that oftentimes is, we can't compare our dogs to that because what a golden retriever was genetically selected for is very different than what a German Shepherd was selected to do. I mean, a German Shepherd that had the personality of a golden retriever would not be very good at their job. Um, if they were like, come into the house and we should lay on the couch together and snuggle and have snacks. Um, so think about that because I think that, that, is confusing to people like and and that's not to say you know there's always of course there's always a curve to behavior and there's going to be dogs that fall on either side i i see a lot of golden retrievers for aggression and so a lot of people would be floored by that but that is just them being a normal dog it's (laughs) i mean normal for them so um I think that we sometimes have an expectation that our dog is going to be like this dog. But again, we have that genetic selection that is kind of driving a lot of their behavior. So um, put that in the back of your head. And again, if you want to read an awesome book, and I know I've referenced this before, um, Kim Brophy's book, Meet Your Dog, uh, talks about some just amazing kind of how genetics are kind of driving the bus and how a lot of these behaviors become maladaptive when you put them in a setting which is a setting they're not meant to work in but they are working in a different capacity that is somewhat maladaptive in that (laughs) in that in that environment so um so listen to that listen to the the uh is this a normal or is my dog normal i think is what it's called so so that's another piece we have to think about so is Think about what your dog was bred to do, because I think that sometimes we we forget, you know, we get this cute hound, and we forget that, holy cow, what were hounds bred to do? They were bred to be really efficient at barking, and really efficient at letting us know that something um, was there, and now they live in an apartment building, and that sometimes doesn't fare well with the person, and they get very upset saying holy cow my hound is barking all the time well we have genetically selected for that dog to be have a really big voice (laughs) and be really good at using it um and so think about those things when you when you adopt a dog because it's not that they're being bad or or anything it's just that that's what their genetics are saying so so given that so then we know that there's a socialization period that kind of comes to an end once you get your puppy and then we kind of have a couple weeks you know 12 to 14 weeks old, that we have some like a period where we can be more impressionable with them. And my definition of socialization once you get your puppy is to create social stability. Like that is what I like to tell people. So kind of try not to think about socialization because I think that implies they need to meet a whole bunch of people and be really good with them, which again, some of your dogs that were like guard breeds they're not gonna love everyone and that's okay like i don't go to target and hug everyone that would be weird (laughs) um but i'm very socially stable in target (laughs) so think about that i think that's a piece that we forget um so now you have your puppy um you know and you have these several beginning weeks that that we can kind of craft some experiences for them so what we really want out of socialization is we want to create a problem solver. Um, we want to create a dog that that can kind of look at a problem and be comfortable with it. We want to create a dog that is confident because dogs that are confident tend to not, they, they tend to look at a problem or something that potentially could be scary and they're able to kind of problem solve it. So how do we do that? Um and, of course, I teach puppy classes. So, of course, I think puppy class is an amazing way. And, and puppy class is an amazing way, a well-run puppy class is an amazing way to do some socialization. But, honestly, that's only an hour a week for, you know, seven to eight weeks. So, it's not like that is a giant time frame in that puppy's life. So... What we do in puppy classes, we kind of give them opportunities to problem solve and to use their bodies so they kind of figure it out. Um, But you can easily do that at home. So during this time frame when you get the puppy, um, there's some old advice that used to kind of circle around up there, which I actually never really gave this advice (laughs) because i thought it was odd um but there's some old advice that says you know meet 100 people in 100 days you know what if you have a german shepherd or you have like more of a guard type breed they don't really care (laughs) maybe you have a golden maybe you have a cavalier king charles like okay they might like it um just because they're meeting people doesn't mean that that's what their world's going to look like. I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a lot of people that come to my house. <laughs> and so, so my dogs love people, but I don't, you know, as puppies, they didn't meet a hundred people. Um, I gave them experiences for them to build confidence. So... Your puppy doesn't need to meet a hundred people. They don't need to meet a hundred dogs. Um, what they do need are positive experiences in places that are new and kind of interesting to them. So the podcast that I did during um, the pandemic, kind of right when um, uh, COVID started, was kind of some things that you can do at home. And I think some of these things are re- still really valid. Um So if we talk about going, leaving your house, some really awesome, probably my favorite socialization activity for puppies is to take them to a place where there's no humans, no other dogs. And I know that sounds very counterintuitive to what everyone has heard about socialization, but taking them to a brand new place and just letting them be a dog, take them to a park when no one's there, take them to a field out in the middle of nowhere, take them to a dead end, you know, in a rural little town and let them smell, just let them be a dog. I think that sense of smell, the more we we learn about it, the more it helps them kind of understand the world. Um, you know, we humans can see and talk about experiences that we have, but dogs just smell. <laughs> so, can you, like when you get your puppy, take them on some, sp- take them places that are new to them and just have them smell, have them be a dog, have them move their body through space, um, give them some agency, which just means that you're allowing them to move where they want to go Um you know, allowing dogs to be able to have their own, make their own decisions once in a while is just a really powerful piece to the socialization puzzle. Um, but I think that's a great opportunity if you can take them to a space where um, there really isn't anyone. They don't need to meet anyone Um you know, the more dogs they meet, there's no data that I am aware of <laughs> that the more dogs they meet, the more socially stable they're going to be. Um, I think that's kind of a myth, and unless someone can dig up some peer-reviewed data on that, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> um, I know there's none out there that I'm aware of, uh, so I think that that you know, the more problem-solving experiences you can create for them, the better. Um, you know, when you force dogs to meet one another. Um, that just creates anxiety. I mean, you think of a friend that you have that really doesn't enjoy big social gatherings and you force them to go to a party. I'm going to guarantee they're not really going to dig it and they're not going to have fun. (laughs) Um, They may, in a very um, dysfunctional way, maybe with an extra margarita or two, (laughs) maybe be able to get through that environment. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that they're enjoying it. So um, I think we, we force our dogs sometimes into situations that they're not really comfortable with. Um, if you if you do have puppies that are appropriate to play with your puppies, that is a great way to do it. But I would monitor like their play and their interactions. Um, socially stable adult dogs are uh, excellent for puppies. Um, now the problem with that is socially stable adults, <laughs> which sometimes is hard to find. But um, finding adult dogs that are very savvy with puppies. Um, you know they're they're a little lenient but they re- they give and they read body language really well is oh just those dogs are just a gem um if you have an adult dog that's very socially savvy and gentle with a puppy um those dogs teach puppies a lot so if you have friends that have um really socially stable adults and i don't mean oh and this is where tiktok and oh my gosh some of the videos online make me not sleep <laughs> Um, But I don't mean an adult dog that just constantly tells a puppy off. I hear a lot of advice, or the people are like, "Well, you just let them work it out, and you just let that let the adult tell the puppy off." There is no reason you need to put an adult dog in that situation. Like that is just not fair to them. That that dog has to continuously be defensive. Um, I saw a video once of a younger dog in a daycare setting humping an older dog that clearly had some orthopedic issues with its hips. And they said, this is how you do it. You let the older dog tell that tell the puppy off. That is utterly unfair to that older dog to have to be defensive in a situation that they don't want to be in. Um, and that just breaks my heart. Uh, not only because the dog clearly has some like strength issues in its rear end as an adult, um, but that's not fair to that dog. To, I mean, that's why we have humans that have opposable thumbs that can think, where they can interrupt that and redirect that. So... Um, so I, I'm not a fan of, of the let them work it out because I think one of the parties is clearly not having a good time <laughs> um, in that situation. So uh, an adult dog that will slowly read body language and give really good cues before that. And then if you need to interrupt, you can certainly interrupt that interaction. Um, but that that if you have puppies that your puppy can play with that are appropriate um in our puppy classes we usually divide the play groups into three so we'll do bold medium and small um and bold isn't always just big dogs (laughs) the terriers end up in that class in that a lot of the times um and then we're there to interrupt and redirect and um kind of manage their play so that they learn it because some dogs need to learn to play um like I know here at daycare, we have to teach a lot of dogs how to self-interrupt because they just don't, Um, you know, they often just don't know how to do that. And so, um, so if you have social opportunities that are mindfully curated, um, that's good. And then remember, I've talked about this in the previous podcast, but remember that, that that oftentimes, oftentimes around sexual maturity, their preferences change. So I think we get upset about that—that that our puppy was fabulous with other dogs as a puppy, but then as an adult, they're not really interested. And that's that's normal. That's a very normal developmental change that dogs go through. So finding finding people that your puppy can interact with um, are good and kids. Now I think again there is a myth that that if you have a puppy you should just have people like hand them food but some dogs that's putting a lot of social pressure on a dog to come up and, and take food maybe from a kid that they're really worried about and we're not changing that emotional response to that kid in that in that um, example we're simply just like pairing um, where we're making that dog come up close to that kid so I would just have kids at a distance, throw them chicken. Um, If the puppy wants to interact, they can. Um, And I think on the podcast before, I've talked about the three-second rule where the kid can pet the dog, the dog moves away, and if the dog doesn't want to come back, the dog doesn't want to come back. They're not really interested. And again, I don't hug strangers in Target, so sometimes they just don't want to interact. And I think we have to be respectful of that. I think we force dogs, again, into situations. Um, And then there's so much at home. So kind of going back to that, you know, during the pandemic what are some things that we did holy cow smells remember you guys dogs live their whole lives like with their little noses so can you bring things to your yard to them to smell can you have you know sometimes in our puppy class i'll bring in the the blanket my barn cat lays on i'll bring in hay from the barn i'll bring in you know dirt from where the striped ground squirrels live um can you bring in different herbs herbs that are safe for dogs of course hide them in a box in your house Um, You know, you don't have to take them out to some, you know, giant place, especially 40 below wind chills in the wintertime here in Wisconsin. Um, You can do stuff in your house, different kinds of perfumes, different kinds of essential oils that are safe around dogs, of course. Um, Can you put some of that out in your backyard? Can you dress up in your house? So these are really easy things to do that actually kids have a good time with. Um, Can you wear your, you know, um, snow pants in the middle of the summer and walk around the kitchen they make kind of weird noises um, can you wear a sombrero can you wear a cowboy hat when you're giving them food um, can we can we have big stuffed animals like be in the middle of the living room one day um and give them opportunities to kind of figure things out you know if you place a giant unicorn that you won at the fair last year in the middle of your living room one morning when the puppy wakes up they're going to be like whoa that's different because dogs are super visual and it probably smells like it's been in the basement for 20 years so there's an interesting opportunity for them to problem solve and they're in a safe environment so they're not you know there's no risk of being injured um so can you can you expose them to those kinds of things at the house um and again people dressing up like that's an easy way dogs tend to perceive things as a shape so when they see someone walk into your house wearing like a snowball snowmobile suit and a sombrero which i might question what they're doing in my house but (laughs) um can you can the puppy be exposed to things like that that might be kind of odd for them um you know can you put stuff and have them hide stuff in boxes Um, You know, the reason the enrichment world has kind of exploded is because it just allows dogs to problem solve, which is quite fabulous. So think about some things you can do at the house. Um, And I encourage you to go back to the raising a puppy in a pandemic episode, just because there's there's some really good information in there that that. I guess it was my fault I didn't think of earlier (laughs) Um, it took you know a an international pandemic to um, come up with some good socialization things in the house but hopefully those are some things to talk about with socialization getting your puppy out I think in natural spaces putting them on a long line letting them move around and smell is one of those amazing experiences to build that prefrontal cortex where puppies are thinking that really important part of their brain where they're gonna make rational logical decisions Doing some things in the house where you're just allowing them to get up and smell things. You know, here in Eau Claire, we have the sculpture tour. I find that those are really fascinating for puppies to go around in. Um, And then doing some things in your house. I mean, my gosh, we have enough days here in Wisconsin, at least, that we're kind of trapped in the house. And there's a lot that you can do in the house, um, having them experience things. So hopefully those things will help you um, if you have a new puppy in socialization. And of course, we would love to see you in the Puppy Einstein class here.